Section 13 of The Coming Race. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Mary Rohde. The Coming Race by Edward George Bulwer Lytton. Chapter 19. As we walked back to the town, Tai took a new and circuitous way in order to show me what, to use a familiar term, I will call the station, from which emigrants or travellers to other communities commence their journeys. I had, on a former occasion, expressed a wish to see their vehicles. These I found to be of two kinds, one for land journeys, one for aerial voyages. The former were of all sizes and forms, some not larger than an ordinary carriage, some movable houses of one story and containing several rooms, furnished according to the ideas of comfort or luxury which are entertained by the Vrilya. The aerial vehicles were of light substances, not the least resembling our balloons, but rather our boats and pleasure vessels, with helm and rudder, with large wings or paddles, and a central machine worked by Vril. All the vehicles, both for land or air, were indeed worked by that potent and mysterious agency. I saw a convoy set out on its journey, but it had few passengers, containing chiefly articles of merchandise, and was bound to a neighboring community, for among all the tribes of the Vrilya there is considerable commercial interchange. I may here observe that their money currency does not consist of the precious metals, which are too common among them for that purpose. The smaller coins in ordinary use are manufactured from a peculiar fossil shell, the comparatively scarce remnant of some very early deluge or other convulsion of nature by which a species has become extinct. It is minute, and flat as an oyster, and takes a jewel-like polish. This coinage circulates among all the tribes of the Vrilya. Their larger transactions are carried on much like ours, by bills of exchange, and thin metallic plates which answer the purpose of our banknotes. Let me take this occasion of adding that the taxation among the tribe I became acquainted with was very considerable compared with the amount of population. But I never heard that any one grumbled at it, for it was devoted to purposes of universal utility, and indeed necessary to the civilization of the tribe. The cost of lighting so large a range of country, of providing for emigration, of maintaining the public buildings at which the various operations of national intellect were carried on, from the first education of an infant to the departments in which the College of Sages were perpetually trying new experiments in mechanical science, all these involved the necessity for considerable state funds. To these I must add an item that struck me as very singular. I have said that all the human labor required by the state is carried on by children up to the marriageable age. For this labor the state pays, 
and at a rate immeasurably higher than our own remuneration to labor even in the United States. According to their theory, every child, male or female, on attaining the marriageable age and their terminating the period of labor, should have acquired enough for an independent competence during life. As, no matter what the disparity of fortune in the parents, all the children must equally serve, so all are equally paid according to their several ages or the nature of their work. Where the parents or friends choose to retain a child in their own service, they must pay into the public fund in the same ratio as the state pays to the children it employs. And this sum is handed over to the child when the period of service expires. This practice serves, no doubt, to render the notion of social equality familiar and agreeable. And, if it may be said, that all the children form a democracy, no less truly it may be said that all the adults form an aristocracy. The exquisite politeness and refinement of manners among the Vrilia, the generosity of their sentiments, the absolute leisure they enjoy for following out their own private pursuits, the amenities of their domestic intercourse, in which they seem as members of one noble order that can have no distrust of each other's word or deed, all combine to make the Vrilia the most perfect nobility which a political disciple of Plato or Sidney could conceive for the ideal of an aristocratic republic. CHAPTER Twenty. From the date of the expedition with Tai, which I have just narrated, the child paid me frequent visits. He had taken a liking to me, which I cordially returned. Indeed, as he was not yet twelve years old, and had not commenced the course of scientific studies with which childhood closes in that country, my intellect was less inferior to his than to that of the elder members of his race, especially of the Jaye, and most especially of the accomplished Z. The children of the Vrilia, having upon their minds the weight of so many active duties and grave responsibilities, are not generally mirthful. But Tai, with all his wisdom, had much of the playful good humor one often finds the characteristic of elderly men of genius. He felt that sort of pleasure in my society which a boy of a similar age in the upper world has in the company of a pet dog or monkey. It amused him to try and teach me the ways of his people, as it amuses a nephew of mine to make his poodle walk on his hind legs or jump through a hoop. I willingly lent myself to such experiments, but I never achieved the success of the poodle. I was very much interested, at first, in the attempt to ply the wings which the youngest of the Vrilia use as nimbly and easily as ours do their legs and arms. But my efforts were attended with contusions serious enough to make me abandon them in despair. These wings, as I before said, are very large, reaching to the knee, and in repose thrown back so as to form a very graceful mantle. 
They are composed from the feathers of a gigantic bird that abounds in the rocky heights of the country, the color mostly white, but sometimes with reddish streaks. They are fastened round the shoulders with light but strong springs of steel, and, when expanded, the arms slide through loops for that purpose, forming, as it were, a stout central membrane. As the arms are raised, a tubular lining beneath the vest or tunic becomes, by mechanical contrivance inflated with air, increased or diminished at will by the movement of the arms, and serving to buoy the whole form as on bladders. The wings and the balloon-like apparatus are highly charged with vril, and when the body is thus wafted upward, it seems to become singularly lightened of its weight. I found it easy enough to soar from the ground. Indeed, when the wings were spread, it was scarcely possible not to soar. But then came the difficulty and the danger. I utterly failed in the power to use and direct the pinions, though I am considered among my own race unusually alert and ready in bodily exercises, and am a very practised swimmer. I could only make the most confused and blundering efforts at flight. I was the servant of the wings. The wings were not my servants. They were beyond my control, and when, by a violent strain of muscle, and, I must fairly own, in that abnormal strength which is given by excessive fright, I curbed their gyrations and brought them near to the body, it seemed as if I lost the sustaining power stored in them and the connecting bladders, as when the air is let out of a balloon, and found myself precipitated again to the earth, saved indeed by some spasmodic flutterings from being dashed to pieces, but not saved from the bruises and the stun of a heavy fall. I would, however, have persevered in my attempts, but for the advice or the commands of the scientific Z, who had benevolently accompanied my flutterings, and, indeed, on the last occasion, flying just under me, received my form as it fell on her own expanded wings, and preserved me from baking my head on the roof of the pyramid from which we had ascended. "'I see,' she said, that your trials are in vain, not from the fault of the wings and their appurtenances, nor from any imperfectness and malformation of your own corpuscular system, but from irremediable, because organic, defect in your power of volition. Learn that the connection between the will and the agencies of that fluid which has been subjected to the control of the vrilia was never established by the first discoverers, never achieved by a single generation. It has gone on increasing, like other properties of race, in proportion as it has been uniformly transmitted from parent to child, so that, at last, it has become an instinct, and an infant on of our race wills to fly as intuitively and unconsciously as he wills to walk. He thus plies his invented or artificial wings, 
with as much safety as a bird plies those with which it is born. I did not think sufficiently of this when I allowed you to try an experiment which allured me, for I have longed to have in you a companion. I shall abandon the experiment now. Your life is becoming dear to me. Herewith the geese voice and face softened, and I felt more seriously alarmed than I had been in my previous flights. Now that I am on the subject of wings, I ought not to omit mention of a custom among the Jaye, which seems to me very pretty and tender in the sentiment it implies. A gi wears wings habitually when yet a virgin. She joins the Anna in their aerial sports. She adventures alone and afar into the wilder regions of the sunless world. In the boldness and height of her soarings, not less than in the grace of her movements, she excels the opposite sex. But from the day of her marriage she wears wings no more. She suspends them with her own willing hand over the nuptial couch, never to be resumed, unless the marriage tie be severed by divorce or death. Now, when Z's voice and eyes thus softened, and at that softening I prophetically recoiled and shuddered, Taee, who had accompanied us in our flights, but who, childlike, had been much more amused with my awkwardness than sympathizing in my fears or aware of my danger, hovered over us, poised amidst spread wings, and hearing the endearing words of the young Gi, laughed aloud. Said he, If a Tish cannot learn the use of wings, you may still be his companion, Z, for you can suspend your own. End of chapter 20